So good to be with you. So it's such a joy. My wife and I were getting emotional earlier today. Just all the feels, you know? Just all of them all at once. All of the things. Uh, man, that Yahweh video. I had no idea you were playing the, that first Yahweh video, Aaron. It, it, it went perfectly with uh, heart runs, right? I mean, <laughs> Yahweh's the thing we seek. He the thing. He's the God we seek. He's the very thing that our hearts long for. And how often we miss it. How often we miss our deepest longings, what our deepest longings are. Um, so tonight we're going to wrap up the week. This is it. I want tonight to be the overflow of this morning. This morning is what? Lost? What does lost mean? Yeah, yeah, lost means loved. Jesus has a thing for lost things. He has a thing for us. He tears apart the furniture to find us. He leaves the 99 safe bet to find us. He, uh, <laughs> he hikes up his robe and just books it down the main thoroughfare. He, doesn't, he despises the shame. He doesn't care about the shame. It's for the joy that was set before him, obedience to the Father, that he sat down. He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father and has endured the cross. So he has pursued us. And he's done so out of love. So tonight is uh, loved people love. That's what loved people do. So I want to start. I want to start by reading from, if we get to Galatians 6. Galatians 5, that is. Galatians 5, verse 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, depending on your translation, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and there's more. And then skip to verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you bring illumination to your word and to us? I pray that we would read and we would hear and we would, we, would want, we would want more of Jesus in our lives because Jesus is so good. He came for us. He substituted, took our place. He lived this life. He lived love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self. He lived it all, meekness, everything. So may we follow. May we follow well. Not just so that we can be tick off the box Christians. But it's so we can love like you and embody your love like we're designed to be as human beings. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I think love is one of the most misunderstood words in our culture. Um, and it's the one I have to talk about tonight, which is a challenge. But you've heard like agape love. How many of you heard of agape love? Yeah, cool, sweet. You're a Greek scholar. And then phileo love. Phileo, like agape love. And it's, it's, usually, it's usually, but not always, like defined as like, you know, the big one, agape love. It's like unconditional, self-sacrificial self love. And then there's like phileo love, which is like side by side, walking through life together. And then there's eros love. You know what that one is, right? Eros, sometimes youth pastors like to bust this stuff out, 
So maybe you know this. Eros love is like that, give it to me love, I desire it, I crave it. It's, it's where we get the word erotic from. So Eros is like that, that flesh level love, things that you want with your gut, you know, whether it's sex or food or whatever, it's that thing you want, you love it, you crave it. You know what I mean? It's the stuff you want with your body, okay? Uh, so you got agape, you got phileo, you got eros. But I think, I think there's another one that most scholars miss in the Bible, and I, and, uh, you, but you guys know it. And uh, I think you figured it out this week already. Some of you maybe. I've seen you guys walk around in pairs. Camp love. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's in the Bible. It's there. You just got to, you know, open it and stuff and find it. Camp love. You know, like, you get off the bus and you scope it out. You're like, what's here? You just kind of, you, you, you do the 180 degree scan. You'll get the other 180 degrees once you're out of the bus away so you can see the rest. And, and the bus drives off and your, your, your camp loveometer is on and ready for business. It's camp, it's camp love. I don't know, it just exists here, you know what I mean? Camp love. I mean, agape, phileo, eros, camp, it's normal. It's a thing. And, and then you go to the dining hall, it's the first dining hall, you're like, is that guy a freshman? He's so tall. You find out he is a freshman, you're like, oh my gosh. And like during the sessions, you're like cricking your neck and camp love is calling, deep call. Like you're like, you're looking around and then like, and then camp love is awakened a little bit because that person's looking at you at the same time you're looking at them. And then one thing leads to another and then you're like seated at the dining hall or something together. And then you have like, you know, the classic exchange where you have like a phone number written on your camp t-shirt or something underneath, like right here. Um, church. Is this prophetic? <laughs> he said church. And the thing about camp love is it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it struggles real. Like it's a real thing. And tonight camp love is raging. Because tomorrow, tomorrow's home. So, so you're going to be going to bed. You're going to be like, oh, rec one, our last 15 minutes together in the rec room. And you're going to make the most of it. You're going to get like one of those blue taffy things that are artificially created by evil people. <laughs> None of that is supposed, what are they, the airheads? Do they still have them here? It's airheads? None of those, those are not supposed to enter the human biology. But you'll do it for camp love because they want one. So you buy copious hordes of airheads and you share them and you put them in each other's mouths and then, and then you're, oh, I'm not speaking from experience. I promise. Uh, And, and, then, and then you go to sleep, and then you, you go to sleep, you go to sleep dreaming of like wedding bells. 
and you wake up on Saturday to like Fruit Loops or whatever they give on Saturdays, <laughs> it's usually something quick, and you don't see them. Like they, they were on like staggered like duty for cleaning up their dorm and, and you're on, you gotta eat first and then go clean and, and, and then as you leave and as you're stepping onto your bus with your bag being thrown underneath by your favorite counselor, you see them from a distance and your intestines, your intestines, did you know that your intestines possess more neurons than any other body organ in your entire frame other than your brain? Neurons are what give you emotions and thoughts. So your intestines possess, your guts possess more neurons, more, so, so in Camp Love, your guts get a vote. And your guts are like butterflying because you see them from a distance get on their bus. And something about when you drive away off of the campground, it's like, what the heck was I thinking? That was crazy. <laughs> Like, you, and, and you go down the mountain, you go down the mountain just, just praising Yahweh for his deliverance and for showing you reality in Christ again. Camp love. It's, it's in, like in the Bible and stuff, maybe. I don't know. If, it's probably, yeah, maybe. Yes, a hand. Oh, good question. I'm big, on, I'm big on appropriate Q&A, and I think that was one of them. Was that a personal experience? Not exactly, no. I, I met my wife, who's seated back there in the lobby at 15. We were in high school, and she was, she was pretty much my first girlfriend, so. It can happen. And the key, actually, and in all seriousness, since, since, since it's on topic, uh, the key actually is getting her parents and my parents both equally on board, like fully involved. Like there is nothing they can't ask. There's no, there nothing, seriously. It's the only way we would have survived as a couple from 15 to 35. Um, so, so, so parents are good, okay? No, no, seriously. If you are a minor, parents are good, okay? That's, no, seriously. They are a good piece of the puzzle. Seriously. All right, enough of that guy. Um, and here's, here's why. Here's why camp love doesn't work. Here's why it's a poor substitute for biblical love. Because camp love says what society says. What does society say? It says, I gotta be authentic. I gotta go with my feels. Because that's me. You guys, we live in an authentic, let's, I'll put it this way. We live in an authenticity worshiping culture. Our culture worships authenticity. Nothing is more important to the prevailing culture. How many of you go to public high school? Okay, good. Maybe you see some of this. How many of you are coming out of a public middle school? Cool. Yeah, freshmen are good. I like you. You guys, you, 
hey, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, you guys forget the kind of feelings the ninth graders, the incoming ninth graders are having right now. Be nice. So listen. Isn't that interesting? Meeting adjourned. Now listen. Your high schools and the people that go to your high schools as students, many of them, including me and you, when we were in high school, it wasn't, when I was in high school, it wasn't such a deal, but in this day and age, because of social media and because of the way people are thinking and talking and having conversations, authenticity is like the God. So if, here's the view, if I can just express who I am, I am being the best me I can be. The problem with that is that you and I and everyone else in the world are broken. If you express your brokenness as something that should be expressed because it's truly me and the best me, not only are you false because it's the broken you, but you're also going to project this broken image on other people's and magnify their brokenness and misery loves company. What Jesus does is he breaks into our brokenness and shows you what wholeness looks like, okay? And shows you what love out of a whole life looks like. We can't be authentic, true to our cravings and love Jesus at the same time. We can't. There's this thing called sin nature, and that struggle is real for all of us, okay? So, what am I, well, how does this relate to camp love? Because <laughs> those momentary feelings, although they are so strong, and you'll have more, you'll have more than just camp love, you'll have college love, that may or may not lead to true love. You'll have high school love, like my wife and I did, that may or may not lead to godly love. You'll have, <laughs> you'll have all kinds of experiences that are momentary, and you have to always check them at the door of Jesus, okay? You have to check them at, at his place. How do we do that? Thankfully, we have the scriptures, we have the story of creation, and we have the story of the gospels. So I'm gonna read to you a paraphrase. I'm actually, it's gonna take a long time, but I'm writing a children's book. It's like a children's Bible, something, something my kids would like, just like the story of the story of Bible for like my six-year-old. And uh, who's now eight, so I started this when he was six. But it starts like this. So imagine like beautiful artwork, creation, beautiful stars and lights, and it starts, God. Before there were people or places, before there were stars or a sky, before there was anything at all to see, there was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three together, one God forever. Three persons and still one God. That is hard to understand, isn't it? How could one God be three persons? Well, I'm about to show you a really special word. Are you ready? You're in it. You're in it. Trinity. Can you say Trinity? That's actually in there. It means three in one. God is a trinity. Three persons 
in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three together, one God forever. God is amazing. You see, God has always been here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sharing life together, showing love to one another like a family. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loved one another so much that they had an idea. God decided to start a family of his own. But first, his family would need a home. So, dot, dot, dot. And then you turn the page and you get like the seven days. And you turn another page and you get like the finish of the seven days. Then you finally get to the human part. I'm fast forwarding the seven days. And then it says, God spoke. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three together, one God forever, quote, let's make humans. Let's make them in our image. Let's put them in charge of this whole land. God started a family of his own, male and female, sharing life together, showing love to one another. God's own family made in his image. What's an image? Here's a hint. What do you see in the mirror? An image is a reflection. Humans were made to be God's reflection in the world, to fill all creation with God's own beauty and goodness and love. Then God did something wonderful for his family. He blessed them. He told them, be fruitful, multiply. He told them, fill the land, take care of it. God and humans began their family project together, filling creation with beauty, goodness, and love, working with each other, sharing life together, showing love to one another as a family. So God taught his new family how to live and enjoy his good world, but instead of trusting in God's goodness, instead of leaning into God's love, God's family ran away. Dun, 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 whatever. <laughs> and you get to the, the rest of the Bible. It gets really bad. So let that be a frame. So a big frame. Hopefully you were listening to that. I know that was really below your IQs. But uh, that, let that be a frame for this whole thing. This whole week. This whole world. Okay? Because listen. The reason why you exist, the reason why you exist as God's image bearer is to, to behold God's love, to receive his image, to behold who he is, and boom, to reflect it back out into the world. This morning, we beheld his love, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, and he races after you to bring you home. So what does that mean for us? If we reflect him, what does that mean for us? If God... <laughs> If God looks at a coin and a sheep and a total rebellious son and races after them, gives up his everything for them and brings them home, and if we're supposed to reflect what he does, what does that mean for us? What do we do? I'm looking for a bold answer. Love, in what way? Not just camp love, what kind of love? Agape, that's, that's a 
Greek way of saying it, I guess. You see, you see a coin, listen, you, say, you see one measly coin or the worthless person in society, and you bring them to the middle. You find the lost sheep way outside of the shepherd's fold, and you bring them into the middle. How many of you guys are actively, listen, how many of you guys are actively engaged, whoa, actively engaged in hunting down the people that society places on the margins and bringing them in, bringing them into the center of your home, your clique, your lunch table, maybe inviting them over for a family dinner at your house, taking the worthless person and bringing them to the center. This is love. This is what it means to reflect God's image. That's one big way that we reflect God's image. And what this requires is, I think, I think what runs through the center of God's love, and this, is, this might be another title for the sermon. You could call it love or you could call it faithfulness. Faithfulness. <laughs> now that is a word that our authenticity and fast-moving, non-committal society does not want to hear. Dan Bentley last night alluded to it. Remember when he was talking about like uh, DTR, I think he called it? What did he call it when like the... the defining the relationship, the woman's like, all right, so what are we? Are we boyfriend, girlfriend? Is this more? Is this less? Speak up, man. Why did she do that? Why why is that a thing? Why did the woman in that Daniel Bentley analogy, why did she say that? Why did she want a definition to the relationship? I'm literally asking for your feedback here. Why? Commitment, good. Very good. The relationship that lingers on without any definition is lame. It's awful. Okay, it feels horrible to both. So the man in that situation, Daniel said an interesting comment. He said, like, it's every guy's fear. I would add it's every non-committal guy's fear. Because, listen, what is love without a promise kept throughout it? What is it? What is love without a promise kept? It can't, it's, it's an oxymoron. You see, this is what God did. The moment his family, listen, the moment his family took a bite of the fruit and bailed on God, God said, all right, I have to remove you from Eden, but I'm not done with you. I'm gonna bring about my Messiah. I, I promise to bring you back through my own seed, through my own Messiah. And Jesus came. God kept his promise. God is faithful. You guys, faithfulness is everything when it comes to love. Everything. Without faithfulness, love cannot exist. Camp love has zero faithfulness in it. That's why it's so silly. That's why we laugh when we like get on the bus, drive down the mountain, camp, the camp love evaporates. You're like, whoa, what was I thinking? It's because you need... There was no context for commitment there. There was no promise to be kept. You had one week isn't even enough time to build the terms of a promise. You young men in this room are growing up in a generation of, you're growing up in a generation of fatherless crisis. I would urge all of you young men 
to decide in your hearts what God's faithfulness looks like and to stick to it and to embody it and to reflect God's image in the way you love other people, the way you love God's daughters. If you, if you love God's daughters in a way that does not reflect his lifelong promise-keeping style, then you are working against creation's order and you are breaking God's image. And it goes for you women too, you young women. My goodness, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself at the center of his heart. Make a promise with Jesus until Jesus takes you forward into his will even deeper. I was at a, and this might not be appropriate for a youth camp, but I was at a couple's retreat once. My wife and I were leading worship for this couple's retreat. And we got down off the stage, put, my, put down my guitar, and the preacher guy, like old, like 65-year-old, like sweater vest, and like, you know, he looked classic preacher man. And he gets up and he goes, he like stands off the side, he's like, husbands, are you faithful to your wives? Like, first thing he said, it was like, shoot. And he's like, he's like, men, are you faithful to the women God's placed in your life? And he said it again. It was like pin drop. And all our minds are thinking, cheating on each other, having affairs. What is he talking about? And he's like, no, you're all thinking of sex. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when your wife is thirsty. When you're thirsty, when you're thirsty, you don't even know necessarily if she is. And you get yourself a drink. Do you think to get her one just in case? Are you faithful to her? When you promised, promised to have and to hold for better or worse, in sickness and in health. When she's sick, are you present? Are you faithful to her? Is the promise you made being kept? And he went down the list and it was like, shoot, this is amazing. He's like, are you faithful? I'm not talking about sex. Quit, quit your narrow American carnal camp, eros love, quit that, widen it out to God style, God size, and what's his faithfulness like? Are you giving that? How are you all, coming out of middle school, entering into a new grade of high school, how are you all practicing commitment right now? How are you practicing commitment? Are you just running shoddy, like, Rick, like, like what's, what's it called? Running roughshod when you're just like, whatever happens, willy-nilly. Willy-nilly, that's a literal in the, in the dictionary. Willy-nilly means whatever comes out of the hat, I'll use it. Whatever I don't use, I don't need, I'll maybe use it. So what, what are you committing to? I mean, there's not very many options at your age, right? Like, you can commit to being an obedient child of your parents. That's one. You can commit in certain ways in that relationship. You can exhibit faithfulness, God's style. I mean, you can fill in the blank there. I don't, I can, I don't wanna fill in your minds there because I think, I think there's a host of things we can draw from. Are we faithful? Because faithfulness is the pulse in the heartbeat of Yahweh's commitments to his people since they were slaves in Egypt when he said, I will take you as my people and I will be their God. I will take you as my people and I will be your God and that's never gonna change. I will do this. I for you, you for me. 
That's love. That's Yahweh-style love. The love of that Yahweh in that beautiful video we just saw, where he's the one we're seeking, and he's never going to stop making himself available to us. He's promised. He's promised to. What is love without faithfulness? It's seriously, I mean, imagine a relationship. Imagine a relationship where, like, you're like, I love you, babe. Like, I have so many, you mean the world to me. You're beautiful. I, have, I feel for you. You're, you're everything. I'll gladly buy you gifts. I'll do anything in the moment for you that you want. I'll make sure you have it. And you do. Like, you, you, you have tons of money. Let's say you have a million bucks. And you're just buying presents, making sane words, telling her how great she is. And, and, yet, and, and yet there's no, there's no overarching promise of any kind being maintained. No matter how expensive the gifts no matter how beautiful the words, there will always be like, let's, let's DTR. We gotta define this thing. What, 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 am, what is this? What is this love you say you have? What is it actually made of? I don't feel it, I don't taste it. Without a promise being maintained all the way through, that love is like, ugh, like wind, you can't quite grab it. Faithfulness is the language love understands, okay? Faithfulness is the soil love grows up from. How are you faithful? How are you committed? Like, what, what, seriously, what, what are your commitments? What do you got going? I would love for you to think them through. How are you being faithful? Actually, like, in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like, picture them like actual fruits. If you, like, blended them together and made a smoothie, I actually think the faithfulness smoothie would, I mean, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit smoothie of love, joy, peace, patience, it would be like the color of faithfulness because it's so strong. And it's, it ties them all together. So I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where you guys are from. I, don't, I mean, I, I could be speaking to... I could be speaking to college age. I could be speaking to... to Sixth grade, 10, 11 year olds, I could be speaking to junior high, middle. And, and this message is really, really the same. I could be speaking to myself, actually. And so here's a couple of practical ways I think that um, you can live out your faithfulness in the context of church, like actual church, not like joking church. And we have four words that we. We have four words that we, we like to repeat at our church that help us, <laughs> help us understand who we are and what God's called us to do. And you can write these down if you want to. Gather. And then we, so we gather together and we scatter together. So you can write scatter. And you can write serve. We serve together. And we give, we give together. And, and right by gather, you can write church with a lot of R's. Because here's, here's something I don't, I don't like hearing. I don't like hearing this. I don't like hearing, you guys are the church of the future. Why don't I like hearing that? Because you're alive. You're the church today. <laughs> you're the church right now. You can take up your gifts and you can bless one another with them now. You are not the church of the future. 
You're probably gonna be alive longer than I am, but you're alive at the same time as me. You're the church of now. And you have gifts now that are just beginning to bloom in ways that are mind-blowing. So when you gather as a church, be faithful to show up and realize that you're not just there to consume a sermon and sing songs. You're there for so much more than songs and sermons. You're there to speak life into your fellow brother and sister. You're there to contribute. You're there to be a part of the body. Whether you're a fingernail or you're an actual tongue or you are like speaking or working or digging or preaching or walking, whatever your role is in the body of Christ, your role is today, it's now. You are not on the shelf, you're not like a kid, okay, like waiting for your chance. Don't listen to that lie. You're the church of today, not the church of the future. So when you come on Saturday, Sunday, this Sunday, and you're in, what, I don't know, what are your churches again? You got Modesto, you got Vista, Maranatha, you got Lompoc, you got Metro, Santa Monica, you said? San Juan. San Juan, so, okay, wait, so you got those churches, you're gonna be in them, and you're gonna be part of the body, and you're gonna show up together, and you're gonna have an opportunity to take your gift, whether it's thoughtful prayers, or maybe it's like just encouragement, or whatever it is, and you're gonna be able to bring it to the table. You're there to contribute together, and to speak life into one another, so be faithful in that. Church isn't about songs and sermons. It's not even about lights and big drums and sounds and stuff. I mean, <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite pastors who teaches, and he leads a church in New York City, uh, his name's John Tyson, and he tweeted out a couple months ago on a Saturday, he pastors like 11 churches that are all one church in Manhattan, and he's really smart, and he's so just filled with spirit, I love him. And he tweeted, hey, you know what? Church probably won't be amazing tomorrow, but we will have the word, the table, one another, and hymns of praise. The church isn't about, oh, it was so amazing. Camp was amazing. What was, I felt so many feels. And it was so good. And I be faithful to show up where there's the word, the table. And by table, I mean the bread and the cup. The word, the table hymns of praise, and one another. And right there, you can show love in powerful ways. So gather and then scatter. A lot of you lifted your hands for public school. That's fantastic. I'm actually jealous of your experience. I went to private Christian school, which was great. God blessed my life there. He taught me a lot of stuff. He's just like he's blessing your life at public school. But I, I do envy, I do envy the joy of being the image of God uh, knowing who my God is and shining the light of my God uh, in a place like, like that where there's folks that don't know Jesus. That's tremendous. You guys, you guys have a mission field that's like commanded by law you have to go to. Public school. So how many of you guys that go to public school are actually involved with other Christians in some way there? Like you're friends with them or you go to like a, some kind of Christian club meeting or something Guys, this is a very, very practical way. You can be the church in the world. You realize you gather at church sharing your gifts with each other, loving one another that way, and then you scatter from church out into your thing, whatever your thing is, your school. And when you're there in your thing, you guys are doing the thing that, gosh, that all of us are called to do, and that's be among 
unbelievers, loving them well. But you need each other for that. Seriously, you guys need each other for that. Do not be a Lone Ranger Christian out in the field. And by field, I mean school, whatever it is you do. Some of you have jobs. Some of you are old enough to have jobs. Fantastic. You are called to be God's minister in that place. You guys are not the church of the future. You're the church of today in your school. Love well. Be present. Don't let the bus fly by. It's an opportunity to be the presence of Jesus in that place, okay? So gather and scatter and then serve. The third thing is serve. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So (laughs) Jesus said that. Jesus said, hey, I came not to be served, but to serve. He said that. He actually verbalized that. That's one way to commit yourself to serving. I am here to serve. Have you guys ever come to your pastor, your youth pastor, or your lead pastor, and said, I'm here. I I realize that I'm called to actually contribute. I'm here to serve however I can. As soon as you verbalize that, that's a commitment. That's a commitment that's been born, whether it's kept or not is up to you. I'm here to serve. Very practical right now. This is like, uh, this is kind of like a workshop (laughs) on being a young person in church, on loving well, practically. But let me ask you, have you ever gone to your pastor and said, I realize as a member of Christ's body, I'm hanging limp. How can I serve? I'm here to serve because I follow a Jesus who serves, did not come to be served. And as soon as you verbalize that to your pastor, you've committed yourself. Awesome, good job. Now keep the commitment. So serve, and then there's a lot more to say about that. (laughs) By the way, When we, when we commit to serve, it's definitely risky. Like, like I tell my wife, like I told my kids, actually. Um, I told my kids that I'd play this game with them this one time. You guys like, you guys like risk? There's some, some feelings of disgust over here. So one way to avoid being, one way to avoid being bound to others is to just like avoid commitment. So... When you're bound to someone, it's intimate, it's a loving relationship, it's so deep, it's real friendship, camp love. I'm talking about the love that lasts a lifetime as friends, deep friends. A good way to get those friendships rolling is to make commitments and to verbalize commitments. I promise to be this to you. A good way to avoid (laughs) being bound to someone is to just like not ever commit to anything. So like, for me, like why promise my wife Why promise my wife, hey, I'll be home at five o'clock when that creates an expectation in her and limits my possibility to do something extra? Know what I mean? Like if I'd, uh, like when you're gonna be home? Uh, If I say five o'clock, then I'll have to be home at five o'clock, but I know that I'm busy, so I'll just, so I just tell her, we'll see, it's been busy, we'll see when I'm home. And she's like, that's not, I can't work with that. And I, and I have an opportunity to increase intimacy. I avoided that opportunity at that moment. Understand? And I just said, uh, I'll be home when I'm home. 
And she's like, great, I'll just cook the kids some cheesy dinner because I don't know if you're home, so I can't make a good dinner. And that rolls over into our friendships too. Like, why tell my kids, yes, we'll play risk. Let's play risk. I know it's a long game, <laughs> but we'll play risk. But why tell them we'll play risk when that, they're like, yeah, we'll play risk. That raises their expectations and it keeps me from changing my mind and watching a show on Netflix. What if I really want to watch that show on Netflix? I know if I really want to watch that show on Netflix, I won't tell them that I'll play risk. So I avoid that commitment and binding myself to my children. But that's rotten. It's obviously rotten. So I just tell my wife, I'll be home when I get there. And I tell my kids, we'll see what happens. We'll see, we'll see about risk. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. The Christian version, Lord willing. <laughs> Lord willing, we'll play risk. No, just stinking do it. Your kids want to do it. You have the time. As a matter of fact, risk is funny because the name risk, like, a couple weeks ago, my son Gavin, he's the one who loves risk. And I'm like, Gavin, I, I was about to say, I can't play risk, it's too long, but then I realized I'm preaching a sermon about avoiding risk this weekend. And I'm literally avoiding the game risk with him. So yes, I'll play risk. And so we played risk until we both got tired of the game and stopped playing it together. Because that's what you do with risk, you stop and you never finish. And then find, so serve, that's a way to serve. Like, yes, I will be home for you at five o'clock. And you kids can be like, yes, mom and dad, I will. I, I will absolutely do as you ask. I, I will, I'm practicing faithfulness now. I will do it. And I will keep this secret with my friends. And I will not gossip about you. I, this is who I wanna be. This is who I am. How so how faithful are you? Another way of asking, how loving are you? How faithful are you is the same thing as asking how loving are you. You think you're loving because you have all these feelings for people and you're really nice. But really, if you don't commit to those people and keep your word, you're really mean and unloving. So this is a very different talk than this morning, isn't it? God never fails. He never stops pursuing us. We stop all the time on each other. And God is calling us to more than that. And the final one is give. Gather, go to church, scatter, go be the presence of Christ in your schools, and then serve, which requires a verbal commitment, and then give. And uh, this one's very practical. Like, it's a spirit of generosity. Generosity. I don't know where you're at with like sacrificing money for Jesus. We don't have very much money in junior high. <laughs> like, and we don't really have much money in high school, but you start to get it. So now that you're in high school, money's a thing. It's like a thing that you get. It's a thing you get to do stuff with. You get more of it when you do more work. And it's crazy how it works. You just sell like a video game and you have like 30 bucks and now you get to do something with that 30 bucks. You're now having money. You're like an operating civil member of society now. And you can spend it on whatever the heck you want. But right now with your cash, you are training yourself to be generous or greedy. You, you actually are training yourself 
this generation we live in today is being known by sociologists as like one of the most entitled generations in American history. My parents were the baby boomers. You know, you ever heard that term, the baby boomers? They were like in the love revolution in the 60s. In the 50s, like women didn't wear bikinis until 1957. There were no bikinis. It was like they couldn't even get a model to model the first invented bikini. Super modest, like way modest. And then in the 60s, all those rock bands from England came over and uh, the war happened, uh, all these different rollovers from the war and then everybody's like, no, just love, just peace and love. And they began to express that love in all kinds of sexual exploits. And so uh, lots of babies came from the 60s. So they call those, that generation, the baby boomers. The baby boomers became one of the most wealthy generations in American history because they came off drugs and realized, shoot, we gotta go to work. (laughs) And so the baby boomers became wealthy and they're the ones in Wall Street now. They're the ones at the top of the high rises. The baby boomers are now the 60 plus year olds who are running the country. And their kids, hi, it's me. And I am one of the oldest millennials because I was born in 1981. And millennials is you. Like, well, maybe not. You might actually be the next worst. <laughs> but like from, from, from age 35 to 18 today is the millennial generation who is known as entitled. Just give it to me now. I deserve it. Free college, free car. Come on, mom and dad, just give it. Because our parents have the money to spare. Maybe not literally all our parents, but in America. And so what that creates is a generation of people who think they can live off Instagram photos instead of going to work. Okay, they think they can live on living eight eight people to a flat in downtown Portland, working eight hours a week in a coffee shop, taking pictures of their own shoes on Instagram, hoping they get picked up by a sponsor. So you have this generation now, and you know what this generation doesn't, is not known for at all? They're known for entitlement. They're not known for generosity. We just expect it to come to us. We expect to just, I don't know, like go to college and like get a car and like it'll happen. This is the world you are inheriting. You guys, you are inheriting a world that is being handed to you kind of like and also not being, hand- and you just expect it to be handed to you. So, so here's, here's the problem with that. It creates greedy young people. I'm one. Now churches, where 40 years ago, where 40 years ago people were giving money in their worship to the Lord, it's just not a thing anymore. They're like, oh, I guess I forgot to, I'm, I'm 22 years old, and I guess I'll give money. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Where 40 years before, people gave because they thought God would kill them if they didn't, which is also wrong. So where you are now is kind of at a crisis point. Here, here's the deal. This last one is, is tied in directly to worship. Did you know worship is not music in the scriptures? It's not music. Worship is sacrifice. So on Sunday morning, you're sitting in church with your parents or whatever, When is the sacrifice? If worship isn't music, but it's sacrifice, when is the sacrifice on Sunday at church? It's a sacrifice to stand. That's funny. Someone's like, the sacrifice isn't standing up. 
That's good. I like that. Wrong. That is, that is a human behavior. <laughs> Standing. <laughs> so, but what's the sacrifice in worship on Sunday? Giving. That's, if, if sacrifice is worship in the Bible, not music is worship, but sacrifice is worship, and if the sacrifice on Sunday is the money giving, my goodness, we have worship backwards. And by the way, who does that make the worship leader? Not me. The accountant, probably. <laughs> the guy who's like counting all of the sacrifices. Because that's where it gets us at our heart. Like, no, I'll take my money. I'll sing my favorite top 40 Christian songs. But when it comes to actually hitting me where it counts, I only got 20 bucks to my name, man. But joining in what Jesus is doing is an act of sacrificial love that is all through the scriptures. Sacrificial love. How generous are you? I don't just, I don't just mean giving money to your church. I mean sharing stuff with believers. Sharing stuff with your brothers. Sharing stuff with your family. Your spiritual family and your biological family. So those are four practical things that I just wanted to leave you with. I wanted to like give you something really like specific that you can go with, and that's gather. You are not the church of the future, you're the church of now. So gather on Sunday like you have something to say. You have something to bless someone with. And then scatter, get out there. That's scatter. Get out there in Jesus' name and do it together. And then serve. Commit yourself with your mouth to serve and then do what you promise. And then give. Where is it hurting you? Where is it costing you to be a follower of Jesus? In a, church as, in, a, in a country as wealthy as America, I believe it should be costing us in our pocketbooks as much as anything else, as much as in our sacrificial love, as, more, as much as our feeding the poor, as much as our visiting the orphan and the widow and the person in prison, as much as all that. So how, listen, how are you cultivating faithfulness? How are you in that? Maybe it's something you never thought of before. Well, you're the church of today. <laughs> you're not the church of the future. It's time to think of it. And I'm gonna close with this Bible verse. It's so good. So good. 2 Peter 1, three through 11. There's this passage here that is stunning. This is it, guys. Let, <laughs> leave it to Peter to like, Drop the mic at the end. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11 says, his divine power, speaking of God's power, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So, those two verses there, that's what God has given you. You have it. You have everything you need. He loves you. He's pursued you. He's given you all the riches you need to be his kid. He's given it. But then verse five starts. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's crazy. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he tops it off with verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's given you everything you need to be a loving reflector of his beauty. So go be it. That's what Peter's saying. He's given you everything you need to be faithful and to make promises and keep them in Jesus' name. So go do it, is what Peter's saying. It's not just gonna happen by osmosis. You just sit there and he makes you a better Christian by not doing anything. The work of the Spirit works with yours. So go love, because loved people love people. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful scripture, this beautiful week. I pray that you would, uh, now, as we move into ministry time, you would open up our minds to your heart. I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't be, I pray against the kinds of distractions that keep us from the fullness of what you have for us. I pray for beautiful revelations of who you are, Jesus. Show us where we're unfaithful and may we make commitments tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit that we keep until we're dead. We hear you calling us into you. We wanna say yes to you faithfully. So we're gonna sing.